You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Theirs was a life of oppression, political manipulation, unreliable politicians, and racial hatred that was passed down for generations. And it was in this background that Jesus walks through the crowd north of Jerusalem, up near a hill off the Sea of Galilee, and he sits down and he begins to share a kingdom perspective of the world in which they live. Today we're wrapping up our series on the Beatitudes Pursue with the very last one. It's definitely the hardest one out of all of them. The word Beatitudes is based on the Latin word beatus, which means to be blessed. And all of these Beatitudes begin with the word blessed. But as we read them, they don't seem like blessings, but what they do bring are God's truly deep spiritual blessings of life. God's true, truly blessed life. Let's take a look at them, Matthew 5, 3. Maybe some of you guys who've been here from the beginning have attempted to maybe memorize them. So uh, I think that's pretty cool. Our small group, we've been really challenging them to, uh, to really get these in their heart. So let's take a look at them, Matthew 5, 3. Jesus sits down and he says this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, those that are bankrupt in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be Comforted, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Today we're going to take a helicopter view of all of them, and we're going to really focus in on the last one. Really, this last one is kind of the, the test for the other seven. There's eight traits that, that reflect the heart of a disciple because these are eight traits that reflect and were mirrored by the heart and the life of Jesus. So here's the last one, and it's actually longer than the others. It's verse 10. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Then he clarifies the same blessing, and he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely, falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Now what's interesting here about that one little claim there, that very last verse, is that Jesus is also making not just this beatitude challenge of the heart of God, but he's also giving an incredible claim of his deity. He's declaring his equality with God, comparing the persecution of the Old Testament prophets and their faithfulness to God to those who are persecuted for their faithfulness in Him, He is saying, Yes, just like they trusted God, I am God, and just as you trust in me, you will be persecuted. It won't be any different because I am God. This is a subtle and many of the ways that Jesus declared His deity. But I also want you to notice the very first blessing of the eight Beatitudes and the blessing of the last Beatitude is the exact same blessing. The first describes the condition of becoming a citizen of heaven. And it says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then the last describes the character of one who is a citizen of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted, persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The Beatitudes are bookend with the same blessing, the kingdom of heaven. So he begins with, those of you that understand your bankruptcy in the spirit 
will find salvation in Jesus Christ. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. And then he walks through this progressive walk of what happens once you bow the knee to Jesus and the result of living for Jesus and what happens when this life is over. He says, and yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's a bookend. You see, the Beatitudes were all designed to be given together. The reality is, in this last Beatitude, is that loyalty and allegiance to the truth of Jesus Christ and a commitment to live out the heart of God and his character will result in opposition and even persecution. I want you to look at the progressiveness of these Beatitudes. They build upon each other. It starts with poor in spirit, realizing your need for God, which equals or brings salvation in Jesus, which leads to a mourning, which leads to a comfort and a recognition of your sinful condition, which leads to a comfort, which leads to meekness, which is a surrendered life, a submission of your life to God, which leads to a fulfilled life in this life, which leads to a hunger and thirst, a new pursuit, a new hunger, new desires to know Jesus, which results in a life that is merciful, a compassionate, loving life towards others, which results also in a purity in heart, which is a desire to live a pure heart and a pure life before God, which also results in being one who is a, a peace giver, a peace lover, a peacemaker, one who brings the gospel of peace to other people. And all of these seven will lead to the last one, persecution. I want you to write this down. This is not that persecution is a blessing because you can be persecuted for all kinds of things, you know. But this is about persecution for righteousness' sake. Jesus makes it very clear. This is those who are persecuted on my name's sake, for Christ's sake. Those who faithfully live the seven, the first seven, are guaranteed at some point to experience the eighth. So this is a real challenge for you because if you've never been persecuted, if you are a follower of Christ in this room, then these beatitudes are things that we are to pursue in our life. And if you are pursuing them, you will have the eighth one. So you got to ask yourself, am I being persecuted? And what does that mean? We're going to take a look at that. But blessed comes with a price. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. He says, beloved, don't be surprised. This is not something that you go, whoa, 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 why am I getting picked on, God? Why am I getting persecuted? Why are people singling me out? He says, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. He says, but rejoice insofar as you sh you're sharing in Christ's suffering. Jesus actually told his disciples, he said, you're going to be persecuted. And they're like, what? And Jesus what, you think you're better than me? If the Son of God, if, if God in the flesh is going to be persecuted and I'm the king and the ruler of all, do you think you're better than me that you're not going to be persecuted? He says, but when we are persecuted, we're sharing in Christ's suffering. He says that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. That means when he returns. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. 
This is persecution for Christ's sake, not because of a position or an opinion that you have. And it's not because of, you know, your style. You know, people just don't like my tattoos. I'm being persecuted. I'm blessed. God says I'm blessed because I'm persecuted because of the way I'm, I'm dressed. This has nothing to do with how you look or, or your background or the color of your skin. This is not about I'm persecuted because I'm poor. This is not, this is persecuted for Christ's sake. It says, you are blessed if you're insulted for the name of Christ, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. And let none of you suffer a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler. That means, you know, persecution for doing wrong things is expected. All right? So this is not about just embracing all persecution. You're blessed, you're blessed, you're all persecuted. Man, somebody in the world is being persecuted for a variety of opinions or reasons. This is not what this is about. It's about for Christ's sake. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. Let him glorify God in that name. We are not to provoke persecution by our conduct. Some people think, well, I'm a Christian and I'm just being persecuted because of my stance at work, you know, or because of my family. I'm just being persecuted. Some of you, you're being persecuted not because you're a Christian, but because you're a jerk. And there's a lot of people who are jerk Christians who think that it's okay to be an idiot or a mean person or judgmental to other people. Like, man, if, you're, if you don't like it, well, then you know what? I'm blessed because you don't love God. And No, you're being a jerk. We're going to find out how to respond to persecution the biblical way. To be blessed and possess the kingdom is to bear the kingdom, to live in it, to walk in it, even when those around you attack you. See, the Beatitudes, everything about this whole series, all these eight traits are all counter the culture. They stand at odds with the world. This persecution that is coming our way is because of righteous living unto God, not because of our opinions that are being attacked. The world cannot handle humility in a state of self-promotion and big egos. The world cannot handle mourning over sin because it promotes living according to our feelings and opinions and promotes sin. The world cannot handle this meekness and submission to God because all it does is seek to serve itself and to do its own will. The world cannot handle being people of mercy and peace because it promotes revenge, retaliation, and self-vindication. The world cannot handle the Beatitudes. And when we live them, they are the heart of God. When we live them, they will lead us to persecution. The Beatitudes are the pursuits of a disciple of Jesus and will, and will inevitably bring rejection and slander. As much as the seven are normal marks of a disciple, listen, persecution is normal for the disciple. In fact, I would say that this last beatitude, number eight, is the beatitudes test. I'd mentioned this earlier. If you're somehow like coming out of this life squeaky clean as a Christian with no troubles, no persecution, no trials, no conflict, you might want to check the beatitudes. You're poor in spirit. You're mourn. Uh, your brokenness before God and for others, your meekness, that submission to God, that your hunger and thirst, what are you chasing? What are you pursuing? The sense of purity in heart, all these things, they, being a, one who promotes peace and not violence and war or vindication or revenge, these are the things that bring people to look down on you. 
to judge you, to condemn you, to call you weak. These are the Beatitudes test. This last one. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you want to write this down, will suffer for the righteousness they crave. This is the reality of living for Jesus. The greater you pursue the righteousness of God, the greater you chase and pursue the will of God, the more you will suffer. Because you will suffer for the righteousness you crave. It's been so in every age. Let's take a look at the early church. The early church was a time of intense persecution. Simply for following Jesus, for declaring that Jesus is the only way in a culture that despised uh, exclusivity. And just because Christians refused to bow to the deity who is the false emperor uh, deity God, uh, and because they would only bow the knee to Jesus, and they preached the life-giving hope and reconciliation and the love and the compassion in a world that was like to treat people like disposable objects. They were persecuted. They were thrown to the lions. They were many times dipped in tar and used as living torches to light up the streets of Rome. They had animal skins sewn to their own skin and then thrown into the woods to be hunted by hunting dogs. They were pulled apart on racks. That means their hands and their legs were tied to racks as they cranked their racks and literally pulled their limbs off and dismembered them. Molten lead was poured on them. Red hot brass plates were attached to them. Uh, Their eyes were gouged out. Body parts were cut off. They were slowly boiled alive. Why? Because they took a stand for Jesus. This is the early church persecution. We're like, whew, I'm glad that's not over. No, it's not over because the church over the ages has experienced even greater persecution. History is filled with stories of men and women who stood in the face of resistance. This is some of their faces right here. Look at this next screen. Um, The church over the ages has faced persecution. Every one of these people are just a drop in the bucket of the hundreds of thousands of people over the last 2,000 years who have given their life to share the the face, uh, to share the peace of God in the face of resistance. Persecuted, attacked, murdered for the cause of Christ. These are incredible stories of inspiration and courage. In the 21st century alone, 150,000 Christians were killed each year. Roughly 1,100,000 Christians were martyred worldwide just between the year 2000 and 2010. Well, woo, I'm glad that's over. It's not over because today persecution is even greater. If you were to Google persecution, Christian persecution, you would find some incredibly, incredibly disturbing images. Today, there's more than 60 countries that have all-out attack and war on Christians. 320 Christians are killed every month for their faith. One in every six minutes, every six minutes, a Christian's life is taken because of their faith. 214 churches, on average, are burned down, destroyed, or blown up every month. 722 acts of violence happen every month among Christians. That means they're rounded up, they're imprisoned, they're raped, they're beaten, they're abducted. Uh, Homes are burned down, they're tortured, they're mutilated, their faces are cut off, acid is thrown on them. 215 million Christians are persecuted right now, globally, daily. Persecution 
In fact, is greater now in the last 30 years than in the first 300 years of the early church. Persecution has not died down. It's on the rise. We live in a culture where we don't understand this kind of persecution. Maybe for you, persecution looks a little bit different. Maybe for you, persecution is a stand for the righteousness of Jesus. It's refusing to get drunk. It's refusing to get high. It's, it's deciding to stay pure and to not have sex uh, before you're married. Maybe it's deciding not to participate in dirty jokes. Uh, and oftentimes the result is that you are left out, that you're not invited, that you have nights alone, and that you're called names and mocked and looked down upon. Or perhaps for you, maybe it's taking a stand for the truth of Jesus. Declaring that Jesus is the one and only true God of all creation of the universe. He is the Savior. That Jesus is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. And because of that, it's brought you being mocked, looked down on, seen as narrow-minded, or disowned by your family. Persecution is the reality of someone who follows the heart of God. If you cherish purity, it will be considered an attack on love and free sex. If you embrace temperance, it's a statement against the love of alcohol. If you choose to be merciful, you will be seen as being weak on justice. If you live simply and with contentment, you will be accused of being anti-capitalism. If you walk humbly with your God, you will be expo- uh, you are exposing the evil of pride and will be denounced under the threat of losing your family, a job, our livelihood, our safety, or being ostracized, we're often seen as the odd ones. We're often the ones looked down on. I'm having a conversation this week with, with someone uh, who is uh, uh, coming out of a, of a false religious background, and, and their whole family is literally attacking him. And he's, he's his, his kids, his wife, his in-laws, and they're just, and he, he's, he's texting me all night. And he's like, man, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I, and I just, I, I've actually gave my, man, we're actually going to talk about this uh, on Sunday. I'd love for you to be there. And I share with him some of these verses that we have shared. But I have a question uh, that many people ask, and I want to uh, answer that today, is why do people persecute Christians? Why? What's, why are we so dangerous? We're not. I mean, we promote love. We promote compassion. Christians do a greater work on the earth than any other religious organization or humanitarian effort on the earth. Almost uh, something like 90% of orphanages and relief efforts around the globe have been started and are maintained by Christians and Christian organizations. We feed more people, we dig more water wells, we provide more water, we rescue people out of oppression and slavery, and uh, we bring physical freedom as well as offer spiritual freedom. Why do people hate us? Why do around the world and, and in the United States, why are Christians picked on, so to speak? Why are we persecuted? Well, here's the reasons why. Why are people so finicky? Well, number one, it's because people love the darkness. They love sin. Jesus says there is such a thing as sin, and you know what? That's offensive. There is such a thing as sin. There is such a thing as right and wrong, and you don't get to define what that right and wrong is. God gets to define the right and the wrong. 
The scriptures define the right and wrong. And when we try to proclaim that, that truth or what Jesus says is truth and what God says is righteousness, it offends people because how dare you tell somebody else that they're wrong or what they're doing is sinful. The problem is they love the darkness. This is what Jesus said in John 3.20. He says, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. Whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it might be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Romans chapter 1 says the same thing, that there are those that have loved the flesh, loved their sin, and loved the darkness greater than they love God. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says to the, to the young pastor Tim, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. They love the darkness, and it takes them down a dark, dark path. To live a godly life is to pursue God's definition of godly, and that's offensive. Here's another reason why Christians are persecuted is because people, well, they love the world. When I say the world, I mean the world's system, the world's perspective, the world's way of doing life. While Jesus says forgive, the world says revenge. While Jesus says let go and be a peacemaker, the world says vindicate yourself and burn the bridges. See, it is opposite. You know, when the world says, look out for number one, and it's your turn now, Jesus says, get in the back of the line. That's the greatest person. You want to be great, be the least. While the world says, no one's going to get you where you want to be unless you make it happen, Jesus says, just stop and let me make it happen. Sit back and surrender. It's opposite of everything. First John chapter 2, Jesus calls us to live a different way, and that is offensive. Jesus calls us to walk and to operate in a different way, and the world doesn't like that. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world, the world's system, or the things of the world, the way that the world operates, the possession, the things of this world. God's not, uh, this is not in reference to the people of the world or, or the planet, because God loves this planet. You know, he created the earth and says, this is good. He created the earth, the stars, the trees, that, that beautiful sunset and those mountains in Colorado. And God says, man, this is good. And he looks at all the people and he says, man, man, this world I love so much that I'm sending my own son. God so loved the world. And he looks at the world as a creation and says, this is beautiful. It declares my goodness. It's important that we know that when we talk about the world, it's not talking about the people or the planet, but the systems and the perspectives perspective. It says, don't love the world, the perspective, or the things, the possessions of this world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, that means if it feels good, I'm going to do it. And the desires of the eyes, that means if I see it, I want it, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get it. And the pride of life, that is, I want to be famous and I want to be a person of power. He says, these are the goals. These are the things. These are the, the batteries that power our sin nature. And it's, he says, it's not from the Father, but from the world. 
And there are people that all they want is to experience what feels good, what makes them happy. They just want to do that. And for some, they, whatever they see, they want. they got to have it. And they're going to do whatever it takes to achieve it, to attain it. And for some, they live their whole life just to make a name for themselves, to be famous, to have position, to have power, to have influence. He says, these pursuits are unhealthy. They're of the world. And people that pursue those things will always persecute the Christian because we don't see eye to eye. Persecution from people is at times an attempt by them to justify their life choices and pursuits. And so they'll be mad at a Christian and persecute a Christian's perspective because our perspective is different. James 4 Uh, The half-brother Jesus says, you adulterous people, that means you cheat on God like an unfaithful marriage. (laughs) He says, you adulterous, spiritually adulterous people. He says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity? That means hostility with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I'd rather be a friend of God than an enemy of God. Here's another reason why people do not, uh, why, why people persecute Christians, and that is they're lost. Jesus claims to be the only way, and that is offensive. When you try to tell somebody that, that their religious perspective and their tradition is not God's perspective of religion or eternity or life or heaven, that's offensive. How dare you? How dare you tell me that there is a wrong view of religion? Well, I'm just trying to share with you what Jesus says. And when you do that, it offends people. The gospel is offensive. That's why the Beatitudes, well, that's why this, this eighth Beatitude is a test for the others because the peacemakers are those that promote and preach the gospel of peace, which is Jesus Christ has made peace with us in God. That's the gospel of peace. The message is salvation. And following immediately after the peacemakers is persecution. And some people, they hate Christians because they don't want to accept or acknowledge what we say is the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Now, that's a real big bright light on a bunch of people who just think we're stupid and dumb and and, and judgmental and negative and narrow-minded. Well, you know, I love you enough to tell you that, that you're not right with God. Well... The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. The message of salvation through faith is Jesus alone, not of our works. Denouncing the deity of Jesus and his message and the message of faith brings persecution. Here's the fourth reason, probably the most controversial of the four that I have here. Why do people persecute Christians? Because they're not the chosen. They're not chosen. What does that mean? Jesus said not everyone is his child. Jesus said not everybody is God's kid. And that's offensive. See, the Bible says that you become a child of God. John 1.12 says that when you bow the knee to Jesus, when you give your life to Jesus, that he gives you the right to become a child of God. 
We're not born children of God. We're born loved creations of God. But you're not a child of God until you become a follower of Jesus Christ and you are made new and become new inside. That's what Jesus calls born again. When that happens, you become a child of God. And, you know, we want to sing kumbaya and join hands across the world and say we're God's children, but we're not all God's children. That's offensive. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone, who was, by the way, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, as you, as you Come to him, the living stone. You are rejected by humans, but you're chosen by God, and you are precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into spiritual houses to be a holy priesthood. Now, that's a whole other message in itself. But to you, he says, now to you who believe, this stone is precious. It goes back to that verse, to those that are, that are, that are born again, those that know Jesus. Man, this is precious. Man, the truth of Jesus is precious to the, to the Christian. My precious. You know, it's, it, but not in a sinister way. There's, there's, a, there's a real profound connection that we have with Christ. We understand the preciousness of this gift. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. To us who understand who Jesus is, it's precious. But to those who don't, it's a stumbling block. It's, it's something that causes people to fall. Check this verse out. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Swallow that one. But you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. How do you know if you're chosen? How do you know if you're one of the chosen? How do you know if you are one of God's kids? Well, have you bowed your knee to the king? Have you responded to the Holy Spirit and turned to Jesus for salvation? Do you stand strong in the face of persecution with this truth? Then you are chosen. There's additional passages and verses in your worship guide that you can look up later. If you're being loving, compassionate, kind, and truthful about Jesus and still being attacked, you're probably doing it right. But if you're a jerk and obnoxious and mean and, and, and screaming at people and, and, uh, and you're being persecuted, it uh, doesn't mean you're doing it right. <laughs> I mean, you could do everything you could be kind, generous, patient, all that kind of stuff and still be persecuted. And you're like, why, God? Well, maybe because you're doing it right. Because the world's system doesn't like God's system. So how are we to respond to this persecution? This one I want to end with these few thoughts of how to respond to persecution. In many ways, uh, we need to only look at the previous Beatitudes and continue to do the first seven but let's get a little bit more specific. First Peter chapter 1, Peter says this in chapter 3, beginning with, with uh, 13. He says, now, who will want to harm you if you're eager to do good? It seems like, why would anybody want to hurt somebody who's doing good things? It doesn't make any sense. He says, but even if you suffer for doing what is right, God will reward you for it. That's the beatitude. You will be blessed if you're persecuted. So don't worry or be afraid of their threats. Don't be afraid of them. 
Don't be afraid of the culture. Don't be afraid of the world. Don't be afraid of the politics. And don't be afraid of the global leaders. Don't be afraid of persecution. Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. Keep your allegiance to Jesus. Keep declaring his name. Keep singing his praises. Keep praying. Keep raising your hands. He says, and if someone asks you about the hope you have as a believer, be ready to explain it. Here's the first response if you're being persecuted or how to respond is speak the truth. Just speak the truth. Keep talking. Keep praising. Keep praying and be ready to respond. I like how the NIV and the King James says it. It says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Be prepared. Be ready. People will will ask you, why do you think that about this issue? Why do you believe this about this issue? Why? Well, be prepared to have an answer. It's coming your way. Be prepared and be ready to speak with intelligence why you believe what you believe. We don't need to justify Jesus. We just need to share him. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth, but we do it in love, which leads to the next response to persecution, which is respect. We need to respect people, even those that don't respect us. We need to learn to respect people, be gentle with people. We need to listen more. The Bible says be quick to listen, slow to speak. That includes your persecutors as well. He goes on to say in 1 Peter 3, he says, but do this. That means be ready to speak whenever asked. He says, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. That means don't give them uh, an excuse to call you a jerk or to be negative or, or to point out sin in your life. Live an honorable life before God. Speak words of kindness and love. Give them nothing to attack you with. Then if people speak against you, he says, they'll be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Remember, it is better to suffer for doing good if that is what God wants than to suffer for doing wrong. See, some Christians suffer for wrong because of the wrong way they treat people. And they think they're being persecuted, but they're just treating people badly. It is possible to disagree and still respect somebody. Christian, you can respect somebody and disagree. You can be someone who loves them and not likes what they're doing. You can be someone who believes in them as a person without supporting the choices that they're making outside of God's will. You can respect them and still disagree. And the world has a hard time understanding this because they don't respect us because we disagree. But our response is to be gentle, to be patient, to be loving. Respect is about treating a person as a loved creation of God. And we don't respect someone because they deserve it. We respect some, because that's usually what we do. We give respect to whoever earns it. No, Bible says, no, you respect them because they are born and created in the image of God. And they are a loved creation of God. And that's why we respect them. Not because they treat you right or talk to you nice, but because they're a creation of God's love. It doesn't matter who they are. 
The next passage, Jesus gives us three responses that we are to have. Luke chapter 7, verse 27, listen to what I say. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Here's the three. Love is the first one. Compassion. How do we respond? This kind of follow up with respect. Be a person of love. He says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Very simple. Man, you're being attacked, you're being persecuted, you're being slandered, you're being gossiped against. Jesus says, hey, you want to, everything about the gospel is counter to our nature. That's why it brings persecution. Why would you love somebody who hates you? Well, you're being like Jesus. He says, not only love them, but bless them. That's the next one. Bless them. That means do good to them. It doesn't mean blessings on you. you know. It means to actually do things for them that show that you bless them. Romans 12, 14 says, bless those who persecute, bless do not curse. Proverbs 25 says, if your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. And if he's thirsty, give him water to drink. You bless the people who persecute you. In the middle of persecution, Peter and Paul, in the midst of one of the most vicious, vile human beings that ever lived, Nero. The emperor Nero, his nickname was the Beast because he had a flavor for murder. He killed his own family members. He killed the emperor before him. He murdered his own wife. And he would gather up Christians. A lot of that gruesome early church persecution came from Nero skinning them alive and using them as torches, that was all Nero. But both Paul and Peter in the New Testament, during the time of Peter, said, respect and honor the emperor, but bow the knee to Jesus. Even in the midst of this terrible leader, they said, respect him, honor him, and be good citizens. Except, he says, when it contradicts God's laws, and that's known as civil disobedience. There's some verses in your notes about that. So we love, we bless. And then he says the third thing in that verse is that we're to pray for those that persecute us. Not just pray for ourselves, but pray for those that persecute you. Pray for their blessing. What are you praying? Not praying, God, kill them. Kill them. You know, some of David's psalms began with, God, will you slay the people that attack me? And then in the midst of that psalm, he says, well, wait a minute. God, forgive me. Give me humility. Give me broken. Preserve the king. Keep him safe. We need to pray for their blessing. Pray that God would show himself in their life. Pray for those who persecute you, Matthew 5, 44. Jesus gives us our last response in James chapter 1, 12. He says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Here's the last one. You feel like you're being beat down, persecuted. You feel like you're being condemned and mocked and belittled. Persevere. Persevere. Be faithful. Continue. Persist. Don't give up, don't give in, endure. John 17, 14, I love this. Jesus says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world anymore than I am of the world. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one in this world. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world or of it. But you are designed and purpose to be 
in it. You're in it, but not of it. And you are in it on purpose. You are placed in your place of work or your community or your family by God's design, regardless of the persecution and in our culture. Matthew 10, 16 through 26, Jesus says, I'm sending my disciples out like sheep, like sheep among wolves. He says, you're going to be handed over for flogging in the synagogues. You're going to be arrested and beaten on my account. They will arrest you. He says, and even some of your own family, he says, will betray you. But he says, keep on going. Keep speaking the truth because as the world hated me, they will hate you. In verse 22, he says, you will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. Endurance, perseverance. We are sent into the world to serve and point to Jesus. Don't retreat. Don't hide. Don't isolate. Persevere. A couple of verses before we bring this to a close. Matthew 24, 13 says, those that endure to the end will be saved. James 5, 7, we must persevere as those who have gone before us. Hebrews 10, uh, 32 say, uh, to 36 says that though we are persecuted and lose things in this life, we persevere for a greater possession and a greater promise. The, the response to persecution is never hate. It's never hide. It's never grumble. It's never negativity. It's never complain. It's never boycott. It's never protest. It's never revenge. It's never slander. It's never attack. It's not get discouraged. It's not give up. It's not find a place in the country and move out of the city and get as far away from people as possible. It's stand and persevere. Be strong. You are a light. Instead, love more. Give more, serve more, pray more, forgive more, listen more. Don't live in fear. Do not fear man, but fear God. The world may persecute this flesh, but it will never and cannot defeat Christ and cannot defeat me in Christ. The very last thing, or the very next thing, rather, that Jesus says right after the Beatitudes expounds on this. And I want to read that. The very next thing after he says you'll be persecuted, he says this. 513 of Matthew, he says, you are the salt of the earth. Don't run away. You're the salt. You're the seasoning. You're the perseverance. You must be in the world for it to work. Salt doesn't work in the shaker. You got to get out. You got to get out of the shaker. You got to get in the world. You got to, you're in it. You're supposed to be in it, but you're not to be of it, meaning to think or operate or act like it, but you are to be in it. And he goes on to say, he says, you're a light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. In this world, don't hide your faith. Be a light. And then he makes it personal. He says, don't be people who light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the people in the house. He says, not only are you a light to the world, he says, but you're a light in the house. You're a light in your family, in your home. Don't give up on your family. Don't hide your faith in your family. Shine. In the same way, 16, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to God, to your Father who is in heaven. So I have a question for you today. Are you feeling the heat? Are you feeling the pressure of this persecution that maybe you have been dropped into? Press on. Love more. Pray more. Endure. Persevere. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give up, but light it up. Light up the life of Christ. So the big question is, well, how is this even a blessing? How is persecution a blessing at all? 
Well, there's three ways that it's a, uh, a blessing. is It brings us closer to Christ. It brings us closer to other Christians. And it brings us closer to the kingdom of heaven. As we identify with Christ and rely on him, it tells us that we are his, that we are loved, and that Christ is with us. It brings us closer to Christ. And it strengthens and unites us in shared experiences and a dependency on each other, knowing that there are Christians around the world being persecuted and beaten and torn apart. And that struggle, that persecution that you have is nothing compared to your Christian brothers. They inspire you. They give you strength. And just them knowing that you know about them gives them strength because it brings us closer together as Christians. And it brings us closer to getting our eyes on heaven, on the kingdom of heaven, on what matters in this life. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. This week in our small groups is our last life team of this round of this semester. They're going to talk more about how to live in a world of persecution and I want to pray for you guys this morning as we uh, close the service. I'm going to ask the ushers to go ahead and come forward if you could, uh, wherever they are, the ushers can come forward. We're going to pray. I want to pray for you. Jesus, I pray in Jesus' name, God. God, that there are some people out there that maybe feel persecuted, that feel attacked by family and by their uh, coworkers or God, by their friends, and, and Lord, they, they feel the pressure, they feel the heat. And God, I pray that we would see uh, those that have, that have gone on before us and be encouraged. God, I pray that we would see those that are hurting in the world and, and, and that we would pray for them and that we would be encouraged, God. God, I pray that as we seek to be humble, broken, gentle people, as we seek to be people of compassion and mercy, as we, God, seek to be people who are pure in heart and peace givers and lovers, Father, of peace. God, I pray that as we seek to do that, that we know that we will suffer for the righteousness for which we seek. Give us strength, Lord, in Jesus' name. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you're here this morning and you're saying, you know, I feel, I feel the pressure. And I need some prayer this morning. Could you just, right where you're sitting, just, just raise your hand and say, you know, I could, I, I, I'm not going to have you come up here, but I just want to pray for you um, right where you're at. If you say, you know, I, could, I feel the pressure in my life of some, some struggles and, and uh, some persecution, some trials in my life. Amen. God, I thank you, Lord, for those in this room that feel the heat. God, I pray that they would endure, that they would persevere, that they would, that they would respond with the heart of God. God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, God, that they would hear and sense the heart of God today, who loves them, who cares for them, and who is for them, Father. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.